So uh, as Kirk said, uh, Kelly and Marianne are, are still in Thailand for a couple more days, so I have the privilege of uh, continuing our series in the book of Romans. Um, the series is called The Gospel Believed. Um, and just quickly to recap about this book and, and why we're spending time in it. Um, this book is essentially a dissertation on the gospel. This is Paul the Apostle's, um, kind of his, uh, his, his mantra in life. This is his everything. And um, he's, he's writing it to a young church in Rome um, that he hasn't been able to visit. So part of that, uh, part of his thought process in, in writing this is, the, this is a, a young church in a, in a, in a vulnerable place. Um, so he is, he's writing to them because they, uh, he wants to see them stand strong. He wants to see them grow in Christ. And because he hasn't been there, um, there's, there's, a vulner, there's an element of vulnerability to that. Um, so the, the, the reason I say all that is, uh, the, the reason we can connect with this book is because we also live in a vulnerable Place. Rome was a, a place that celebrated tolerance. I'm just going to grab my water really quick. Celebrated tolerance that celebrates individualism, that celebrates um, t- um, government and, and like hail Caesar. Like uh, monotheism was not a thing that was okay. Um, so, so the church in Rome is in this place where the, the culture is going one direction and the kingdom of God is directly opposed to that. And, and that is where we live today. We live in a place where the values that are that are celebrated in the kingdom of God are not always the values that our culture celebrates. So Paul writes this to encourage them and, and to encourage us as well because we live in a similar time. As, uh, as I was preparing over the last couple weeks, uh, I, was, um, I felt really good about what I had prepared to say and spent a lot of time and studying and uh, yesterday, I like go to to run through my notes, and I'm just like, uh, something, <laughs> something isn't meshing. Um, and I just was really convicted. And I, I want to be, I want to be faithful to the scriptures. I want to be faithful to you guys as a church. Um, so the Lord just convicted me of some things. So um, today might be a little weighty. I might be a little uncomfortable. Um, but know that my heart is ultimately to love you and to lead you to Jesus and, and to be faithful to his word. So um, let's just go ahead and read the passage really quick. It's Romans 6, this is verse 15 through 23. I think it'll be up there if you don't have it with you. I'm reading out of the ESV. What then, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms 
because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray really quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you were kind enough to impress upon people to write down what you did and, and to, to uh, be led by the Spirit to record and expound upon and, and uh, be divinely inspired to write your words, um, knowing, you knowing that this would be a document we would read thousands and thousands of years later. So Father, we, uh, we just ask that you'd speak to us through it this morning. We ask that you would light something within us this morning, that we would be called back to truth, that we'd be called back to the foundation of our faith, um, and that ultimately you would do something in us, that we'd be transformed and moved to another step closer to faithfulness to you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we invite you to speak to us in your name. Amen. So really quick, before we dive into the text, I just want to just point out a couple things. So just like the, the, the Roman church lived in a landscape that had a culture and had norms, we too as individuals have been informed by our, our parents, our, where we went to school, our environment, uh, what jobs you've worked, the opportunities you've had and been able to take advantage of. And in the same way, us as a church have, have been similarly affected and have similar influences on us. We are a church that lives in a Western area. We live in America. There's, there's a culture that seeps in to all of us because of our surrounding. And in the same way, the church has a culture that seeps in because of our surrounding. What I'm getting at is I, I want us to think in a, in a more macro sense about where we find ourselves as a church. And I would argue, and I, and I think we could agree, that in general, in a macro sense, the American Western church has cooled off a bit. In general, there's obviously exceptions to the rule. There's, there's really intense people, and, and there's exceptions in us individually where we struggle with licentiousness or legalism. Um, but in general, the culture we live in, the American culture, has seeped in, and we, I think as a result, the temperature has just kind of come down a little bit. We've grown comfortable with things. Our, our hearts don't leap as high as they used to, and our hearts don't break the same way that they used to. Our hearts are a bit hard, excuse me. Following Jesus is difficult. 
right? The church is, is difficult. It's filled with people. There's relationships. There's, there's this sometimes. It makes sense that we would have hard hearts, that we would be uh, just slouching a little bit as a people. And, and this morning, the, the thing that I'm trusting for and the thing that I'm, I've prayed for is that God would just kind of crank up the heat a little bit, that, that we would be drawn back to a, a more sitting on the edge of our seat, ready to take the step, ready to advance uh, as our general disposition as opposed to sitting back, chilling out, being comfortable with the things that, are, that we're hearing and, and the things happening in our world. Does that make sense? So, with that, the, the book of Romans is, uh, as we talked about, it's Paul's dissertation on the gospel, and it kind of does this back and forth thing. We go from theology, strong pictures of what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished for us, all the way to methodology. What does that mean? How do we live? All of that. So, this morning, we're looking at a methodology passage. We're looking at a imperative, a, an indicative is what Jesus has done. This is a, um, a, a non-negotiable of a reality that we have in Christ. And now we're talking about an imperative. This is a non-negotiable behavior or outworking that's to be represented amongst us. So the, the, uh, the indicative is the gospel this morning. Uh, and just quickly, let's go through that. Creation. We believe that God created man. We believe that we were designed from birth to be with Jesus, that he made us in our DNA. There's something within us, like we were purposed to live with God. That was our initial intent. And then the fall, sin poured, uh, as Alan Frau always says at Southland Spray, sin like uh, poison poured at the mouth of a river is distributed throughout humanity. And now we, we're cast out of the garden and something happens in us where we can't help ourselves. Our relationship with God is, is changed. We're separated, and our relationship with sin becomes an unstoppable thing. Our, our, our attitude towards sin, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to try. It's, I can't stop. I won't stop. Apart from God, that's where we're at. And then Jesus enters the scene. He comes in. He dies. He, he takes the wages that we deserve for our sin that leads to death, and he pays us in his righteousness and his status before God. And there's an exchange. Our sin is imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to us. And now, when God looks at us, we have the same standing as Jesus has. And then he sends his spirit. He lives inside of us now. And we live between now and glory when Jesus will come back. Does that make sense? Are we we're tracking? Okay. So with that, let's get, to the, let's get to the passage. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. The gospel has an intended response. If you want to write that down as your first point, if you're taking notes, you can. Paul puts it incredibly bluntly. Are we to keep on sinning? No. There's a very clear response that God calls for. The only appropriate response for the gospel is awe-filled obedience. The gospel does not leave an option for a life that does not make an about-face. The gospel does not produce Christians that tolerate sin in their life. 
Let me say that again. The gospel does not produce Christians that are okay with sin in their life. I'm not saying it produces perfectionism. I'm not saying that we all of a sudden are, are just, uh, we don't struggle with things, we're fine, our hearts, we're just in pure Christian bliss all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the general disposition of our heart and attitude is different. The gospel means that we're freed from sin today, and part of that is there's a transformation that happens in my heart where before my relationship with sin was, I'm just going to do it. There's nothing I think through. Two, being vehemently, passionately, violently opposed to sin. That is the, that's the response to the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, a famous old dead guy that wrote all these things about Jesus. Great guy. It's just like poetry. Everything he says is like poetry. And he, he has this story. There's a group of kids, um, young, young kids who a lot of them have very aggressive fathers that punish them uh, probably a little too hard and um, beat them, and, and it's, it's bad news. Then there's one kid amongst them who his father loves him, takes great care of him. He disciplines him fairly. He's treated well. And so all these kids get together, and they're going to have, they're, they're like, uh, it's like when you were, I don't know if you ever did this, you like got with your kids on the neighborhood, and you were like plotting to like egg the neighbor's house or something like that. So he goes on to say, um, these young gentlemen met together to hold a council of war about robbing an orchard. They were all of them anxious to get about it except the favored youth who did not enjoy the proposal. One of them cried out, you need not be afraid. If our fathers catch us at work, at this work, we shall be half killed, but your father won't lay a hand upon you. This little boy answered, and do you think because my father is kind to me that therefore I will do wrong and grieve him? I will do nothing of the sort to my dear father. He's so good to me that I cannot vex him. I will do nothing of the sort to my dear father. This, this is the response to the gospel. It's not that we now have an obligation. It's not that we, we, just are, we don't even think about it. There's, there's a something that changes in us in our relation to sin. It's not, uh, I've got to get away, like help. It's not that. It's, we're not thinking about actions as much anymore as we're thinking about relationship. We're thinking, we're not asking questions of, I wonder if I can still do that, or uh, is this that big a deal? We're asking questions, we're saying things like, I would do nothing of the sort to my dear father. So the gospel has an intended response. Um, Paul says, are we to keep on sinning? He kind of poses this question. Mike talked about it last week. No. The the intention of the gospel, it it is false to look at the gospel and everything that Jesus has accomplished, what we just talked about, and to think, God did that intentionally so that I could do whatever I want. That is the wrong conclusion. 
All right, moving on. Are you guys with me? Okay. The gospel uses behavior. So back to this idea of the, the kind of the landscape we live in as an American church, we, the idea of works is something that in general we are pretty like uncomfortable with. Works is not something we, in a macro sense, culturally speaking, is not something we traditionally celebrate, go after. We're very opposed to legalism. The last thing we want to be is legalistic. But the reality is is that the gospel produces a behavior in us. We talk about that the gospel isn't, uh, isn't just about behavior modification, it's about heart transformation, right? We've said that line a couple times, but also the gospel transforms behavior. Also, we're, there's, there's a change in our lifestyle that takes place because of what Jesus has done. In an attempt to speak to ter- in terms we would understand, Paul talks about our previous slavery to sin as a picture of what following Jesus is ought to look like. We don't re- uh, before Christ, we just sin. It's, it's a force of nature. Um, it's, a, it's, it's like a boss that exerts its will on us. It, we just like, okay, I'm going to sin. Like, I, I don't. Before Christ, that is our relationship with sin. It's can't stop, won't stop, right? And what happens is Paul's saying, so the same way that you, if you think of sin as like a boss or a, or a, a force of nature, the same way that you obeyed it, Let's obey God in that same fashion. That's like a really, really high bar. I don't know if you guys see that. If we think about our life before Christ, or we think about the idea of total depravity, we don't contribute anything to our salvation. There's not a a good bone in us. So the same way that we obey sin, let's obey Jesus. What you do in moments is different because of what Jesus has done. Just catch myself up. I went off track there a little bit. We need to take a serious look in the mirror this morning at what we are believing about the gospel. Martin Luther said, faith alone justifies, but saving faith is never alone. Let me be clear, we, I firmly, and we as a church firmly believe Jesus plus nothing is everything. There's nothing we bring to the table when it comes to salvation. We don't initiate it. We didn't start the conversation. We can't take it away. With that said, the gospel always, 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 always produces fruit in our lives. There's a call on us to be tenaciously, very habitually engaged in our holiness. Making godly decisions, fighting sin, confessing sin, receiving prayer. There's things that where the ball is in 
our court as Christians. So what? So I've said, I've said a lot of things. Let's get to, to why any of that, that matters. This is the deals that that is a tall order. The, the bar that we're setting this morning is, so the level of obedience that we, have, we had to sin before Christ, that is the same extent to, we, to which we are to follow Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but I look at my life and I am not, it does not reflect that. I know in Christ, I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm justified, I'm holy, I'm blameless, I'm welcomed, I'm adopted, I'm secure in where I'm going. All of that is true, but I am not, I'm not without blemish before you right now as, as this person. There, there, is a, there is a gap between what the gospel is and what it's supposed to create in us. You guys seeing that? Do you guys resonate with that at all? I don't know. Maybe you guys are all perfect and I'm the crazy one. That's fine. That's totally fine. Um, the, the response this morning, what I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to push us to doing more. The call is not, on a, is not to just add something to your schedule or to stop doing something. Though there's probably things you should stop doing and there are things you probably should start doing. The only way that the, the gap between what we're called to do and what scripture says is bridged is by looking to Jesus. It's by, again, this idea of the imperative and the indicative. This is an imperative. You are to live as slaves to righteousness. It is non-optional. Following Jesus, that is what it looks like. We have not been saved from sin to be our own master. We've been set free from sin and we have a new master and that's Christ. It is not optional. It is the gospel. It is the good news. But the reality is, is that is not often where we find ourselves as Christians. That's not often where we find ourselves as a church. So this morning, what, I'm call, what, what Jesus, I believe, is calling us to is into that gray space. The space that is, this is my experience. This is what's true. This is what I'm called to. Where I find myself is, is here. And often what we do as a church, this is kind of what I think the enemy does, is we go, well, I can't stop anyway. It's not that big a deal. I'm, this is just a limp I'm going to walk with. And we just, our sin becomes less and less important, and therefore the gospel becomes less and less powerful. And the enemy, the, literally the entire scheme of the enemy is just for us to take the words of Jesus a little less seriously that we did yesterday. He doesn't tempt us with like heresy or big, hairy, scary sins usually. It's just, that's uh, okay. It's not that big a deal. Only God can judge me. And we just slowly drift away. And what Jesus is calling us to is the place of faith where this is what I'm called to. This is the truth. I don't, I'm not here where, the tr I'm, not here where, where I'm called to yet, but I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to have faith and believe that what Jesus says about the gospel is true. I'm going to have faith that when he says, I don't have to sin anymore, it's actually true. So when I meet, and when I hit those fork in the road moments where I can decide, now I can decide because of the gospel, now I can choose right or wrong, I'm going to be passionately, aggressively for doing the right thing. 
and I'm going to ask God to help me in that process. Not, I'm not going to lean back and just give up. I'm not going to, this is what, what Paul says in, in 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? We're not doing that. We're not saying, I'm just going to, I'm just, even though I'm free from sin, I'm just going to continue to obey it. Well, we're, what Jesus is calling us to do this morning is to the in-between, to, be, to take what we call faith. Jesus loves faith for whatever reason. It's the most uncomfortable thing. It means you're taking steps and acting like something's true when maybe it doesn't feel like it is. So I'm going to take steps and act like it's true that I'm free from sin. I don't feel that way. My life doesn't look that way right now, but that's the reality. That's what's true, so I'm going to live that way. And through that process, those decisions, those fork-in-the-road moments, that exclusively and, and particularly is how we become holy. That is how we live out our holy. That's how we become sanctified. Sin, nine times out of ten, does not just disappear from our life. Some people have crazy stories where God just intervenes and they're, they're healed from a temptation. They, they have had a bad habit or something and God just heals them and it's miraculous. The reality is, is that same person is two bad decisions away from doing the same thing. It's not gone. Sin does not just disappear. Righteousness in, in how we live does not just appear. It's making conscious decisions fueled by the gospel and nothing else in faith. And God, this is the other thing. So just like when we sin, 10 times out of 10, sin leads to death, right? That's just whether you believe in God, whether you don't, sin leads to death. The other thing is, obedience leads to sanctification. Whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you experience it or not, when you make a decision for righteousness, God is, what he says here, he is at work in you. It's non-optional. He is making you more like who you already are in Christ. This morning, we, the call is to recognize our weakness and look to the one whose strength is made perfect in our weakness. Jesus is the one who shows us <coughs> Jesus is the one that shows us what unstoppable obedience looks like. Jesus was unstoppable in his pursuit of us. Let's consider the life of Jesus. He was sent in the form of a baby, fully man, fully God. He was raised by people he made. When he was a young boy in the temple and he ran away from his parents, they was like, where'd you go? What are you doing? And he said, I must be about my father's business. At the wedding, when, his, when they were running out of wine, and they, his family comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, like, can you help us out? And he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. When Jesus chooses to live with 12 men, one of which who would ultimately betray him, who, after spending years with him, just don't get it. 
Jesus washing those same 12 men's feet when they still didn't understand what was about to happen. His, his faithfulness can't stop. He won't stop. He fed tens of thousands of people with a boy's lunch. He bore a cross that didn't belong to him. He was crucified on behalf of the people who put him there with shouts and cheering. When he rose and Mary comes looking for him and his response, Mary, he says her name. When Jesus, to Thomas, who's doubting after everything, and he says, put your hand in my side. What I'm getting at is there's so many off-ramps for Jesus. He's God. He's fully God. But his pursuit, he, he was fixed on a mission of what God had called him to. He was fully man, so there, it wasn't just a, like there was, a, he had to be obedient. Like he was, he had specific things he was asked to do and he had to do them. He had to exert energy. He, he was homeless. Like he, he wasn't like just comfortable and it was like this formula was set in motion. Like he did it. He did the work. And the reality is, is that Jesus's obedience is our everything. Jesus models what Paul is talking about, a slave to righteousness. Can't stop, won't stop. All these things that we just talked about, these are moments where he, there's, there's an opportunity to turn back. There's an opportunity to do what's comfortable and he stays the course and he stays the course and he stays the course and as a result, here we are. And I, I think what's important to note is God can use, in a similar degree, God uses our obedience. Jesus' obedience is, is our hope. Our obedience might be our neighbor's hope, your coworkers, your families. Again, it's not, we're not saving them, but you, you get what I'm saying. Us being obedient to share, to serve, to love, to turn the other cheek, all these things, these off-ramps, these forks in the road, us being faithful to choose the path makes a difference. It made a difference. In Jesus' life, it made a huge difference. In our lives, God loves to partner with our obedience and make a difference in people's lives. So uh, the way I want us to respond today is uh, we're going we're gonna to take communion and we're going to worship. But what I want us to do is the call this morning, as I said earlier, is let's Look at the gospel again. Let's not add something. Maybe, maybe right now, again, the, your, your, your inner lawyer is popping up or the Holy Spirit's picking at some things. And you're like, all right, I got to do this. I got I to gotta talk to this person. It's like doing what we've talked about on your own strength is sin and will lead to death. The call this morning is to fix our eyes on the gospel and to ask the Holy Spirit God, make this new in me again. Turn up the heat a little bit. Help me to believe that I don't have to sin anymore today. This isn't just fire insurance. This isn't just I'm saved then, but right now there's a freedom from sin.